0: Romans chapter 5. Again, we're really coming to the conclusion of this book. We will be finished with it here probably in just a couple of weeks. We will be done. We'll go right into Second Thessalonians. Again, this is a church that got started on Paul's second missionary journey. This is when he headed into Europe under the direction of God's Spirit, the direction of his leading, and uh, when he crossed over and started off in Philippi, and then from there into Thessalonica, and went down to Berea, then down into Athens and into Corinth, and um, it was when he was in Corinth that he had actually wrote this letter back to the church of 1 Thessalonians. Of course, all the churches that he started, he cared for greatly, and he knew this church had, as many of his did, just had a lot of afflictions, a lot of trials, a lot that they were facing in Thessalonica. It was a key city. It was, you know, idolatrous, full of violence, and and, and the fact of conversion, you know, had many ramifications and and he was so encouraged by the report that he got back on how well they were doing and he was sending back this letter to try and and be an encouragement to them and try and help them on some areas that they were still confused about dealing with the return of Christ and he's finishing with a series of commands here just one verse here this evening verse number 20 an important one despise not prophesying let's go ahead and pray Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I beg you for your mercy and your grace. I pray that your word would help your people tonight. Lord, please help me to stay true to it. And may it feed your people. May it draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing. That even this evening they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. May you be glorified and honored in all that is said and done. Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, One thing that that... Uh, I think all would have noticed in the last seven years is that that I certainly elevate and I place place a strong emphasis on the preaching of the Word of God. Um, and, And I think in tonight's message we're going to get into some of the reasons why that is so, why that is, I believe, commanded biblically to be in place as such. As we come through the end of this chapter, remember we started really in verse 16 with these series of commands that he is giving. He's giving several spiritual principles in these closing verses. um, These series of commands. They're very brief. But boy, are each of them just critical for successful Christian living. The first three that we looked at, of course, those are the ones that when you first read them, they all appear to be completely impossible to follow. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And we went through that, the importance of that, the importance of being able to rejoice evermore. How much we do need to joy of the Lord and how important and critical it is in our life to fight off temptation to guard our hearts against bitterness and allowing anger to come in and again when he's telling you to rejoice evermore it's easy to rejoice during the good times that's not the emphasis of the command it's when things are difficult how that you can still have joy even in the midst of sorrow as Paul put it and we dealt with that we dealt with the importance of our prayer life and how there needs to be a passion about it and a persistence about it to get it into. How we actually can be thankful for all things. Knowing who God is. God is good. What he's done for us. Trying to keep things in perspective of eternity with what's going on in your life. And that allows you to be in a place where you can give thanks for all things. And again, that protects you spiritually in your walk. All of these things help you stay on a right course. Listen, we have a wicked flesh that we're dealing with day in and day out. And, and And so he's given us commands here to try and keep us in a place where we can maintain a walk with God. <clears throat> and then we dealt with the last time we were here is that that verse quench not the spirit. Boy, did I enjoy studying that because i, I as I mentioned then I always enjoy when I'm diving into a text, and by the time I'm finished with it, I have a completely different perspective on that text from before I started. and we we, we I demonstrated from that text how much of that dealt with. In, in, in having a passion for God, a strong love for the Lord, and, and not to quench that fire. Not to put that fire out that God's Spirit puts in your heart and how important that is in your life. That it, it feeds those others the, the ability to pray without ceasing, to have joy, to be able to give thanks. You have to have your love in the right place. <clears throat> and now we come to another critical one for our growth. Um, And like all the other instructions that are given in this last series, these seven here, uh, this too will be attacked in your life. Any of these that are critical to Christian growth, make no mistake about it, the devil is going to do his best to attack it. This one certainly gets attacked, as we're going to see. This one, upon the initial reading of these couple of words, is perhaps the hardest to understand. Most of these are very clear-cut and straightforward. And uh, But due to some of our terminology today, sometimes verse 20, we can lack some understanding of it. But it's really not complicated. It's not hard as we're going to see. And the command here is despise not prophesying. And so we're going to dive into this. I, I, I gave it several D's if you want to write these down. We're going to look at the direction, the danger, the distractions, and the duty of when it comes to despise, not prophesying. First off, the direction. What I mean by that is this. is What exactly is the command telling us? What is it dealing with here? What direction is this giving us in our spiritual walk? So first, we need to understand the word prophesying here in this verse. If you're going to understand this command so that we can follow it, you need to know what it's talking about. If you've taken any of the Bible college courses here or somewhere else, you know that when we teach on the word the, the, the word that is used here prophecy we we teach that it's twofold in meaning we usually use two two words uh, foretelling and forthtelling one means an actual giving of revelation an actual giving of revelation that is coming from the spirit of god while the other one is simply the retelling if you will of something that has already been revealed of god's word it is usually the context that bears out which uh, 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 which meaning that the Bible is talking about. It really simply means the proclaiming of God's word, whether it's in revelation or reiteration of God's word that's already been revealed. That's the emphasis of it is always on God's word. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to quote from a, a, a source that I like to use often, Robinson Roberts, Word Pictures. He's, he's great in word studies. It's one of the best word study books that I have. And I want to quote from him concerning this verse. He says this. He says, he deals how this is a plural form of the word in accusative sense. He said, the word means "forthtelling," rather than foretelling, as is the, which is one of the chief spiritual gifts. He refers then to 1 Corinthians 14. I'll get to 1 Corinthians 14 in just a few minutes. And evidently he talks how that was depreciated in the church at Corinth. He also mentions Thessalonica, but I think it's very much preventative here in Thessalonica and not so much as a problem that was was existing. But so the reference here in despise not prophesying is dealing with the proclaiming of the word of God or preaching. It's saying, don't despise the preaching of the Word of God. Let me show you this more from Scripture. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we have the exact same word used. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And then he goes on to list gifts. Now, what's interesting here is the gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 12, deal with speaking and serving. None of them are miraculous by nature, whereas compared to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have some of the gifts that would deal more with a miraculous nature, and some of those sign gifts that have since finished because of the completion of the Word of God. But here in In Romans chapter 12, it's not dealing with those gifts, it's dealing with speaking gifts and serving gifts of non-miraculous nature, which the word prophecy is giving here. So one of the spiritual gifts is actually that of the communication of the word of God, or preaching is one of the spiritual gifts, and that's what it's dealing with here. So this is another case within context of the word of God where you can see that the word does not always mean as we view it too often when we see it in scripture. Too often when we see it, our mind immediately goes to the foretelling or revelation from God. But it also means to preach the word of God, to reiterate, to proclaim God's word. And the context bears it out what it's speaking to Here's one commentator uh, uh, on this verse. I wanted to quote him directly. He said, The word means to speak before, not in a prophetic sense, but to stand up in front of people and speak before them. It means literally to speak publicly, to proclaim publicly. The gift, the gift of prophecy that some Christians have been given is the Holy Spirit given skill for public proclamation of God's word. It is the Holy Spirit given skill for, uh, 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 for preaching, and he continues. So, there were two associated gifts: one would, one would be complete a sign gift that would deal with the, the actual foretelling that certainly the apostles had prophets had had that ability of, of receiving a direct revelation from God. And, of course, we have that. We now have the completion of the Word of God. We know that, with, we know that those sign gifts are, in fact, finished. And that will be a whole other lesson. I deal with that partly when I deal with the gift of tongues and what it actually is scripturally. And those are done. But there is a, a very real gift that deals with the preaching of the Word of God. And we're going to see here that's exactly what Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with the preaching of the Word of God. The word itself doesn't necessarily obviously deal with new revelation or not, but the manner in which something is proclaimed, a public proclamation. So it can be a broad term, and again, context bears out the meaning. And and, and, and we go from there. Now, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is another uh, uh, section of Scripture where the word prophecy is used in proclaiming God's word. Not in in relation to revelation, but simply proclaiming God's word, preaching. And the emphasis of the word, remember this, that's why the word prophecy is used. And we lose that today. I'm going to get to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Is because the emphasis is always on God's word. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 14. Read just a couple of verses here, starting in verse number three. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. Let's jump down to verse 39. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Contextually in this verse, it's dealing with simply the proclaiming of the word of God or what we call today preaching. The preaching of the word of God. That's what he's dealing with here. Because this was a church that had things backwards and was well off. The, 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 the idea of preaching, if you will, was not emphasized. It was de-emphasized in this church. And I'll tie. I'll get more into that um, a little bit later. He knew what they needed was the preaching. So we know that it's dealing with in in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five with the proclaiming of God's word. Um, with the preaching of God's word. Now, let's look at the meaning of the word to despise. The command is we're not to despise prophesying. We're not to despise the proclaiming of God's word. We're not to despise the preaching of God's word. The word despise here means this, counting as nothing. It means do not undervalue is what he's saying. He's telling them do not count it as nothing when it comes to the proclaiming of the preaching of the word of God. Again, that was taking place at the church at Corinth. They were more amazed by the miraculous gift that somebody could all of a sudden speak in another language, a foreign language, right there. That's what they came to see. They came to be entertained. But when it came to the actual preaching of the Word of God, which was going to help them tremendously, that wasn't emphasized. They were coming, basically, to be entertained. It was hurting the church greatly, and Paul rebuked them for it because they were leaving off what they really needed. And he's emphasizing there the importance of preaching. And so that's what he's dealing with. That's the direction we have. Now, let's look at the danger when it's despised. When it's undervalued. When the preaching in a service is basically counted as nothing. Again, think of the context also of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and the series of commands that he's given. All of these are of utmost importance in our spiritual walk. The truth is, preaching will be attacked. Anything that can help you, uh, uh, help strengthen you in your faith and in your walk with God is going to get attacked. There is a danger when preaching is not important to you. When you undervalue it in your life. When you start to count it as nothing. There's a danger there. We think of simple verses like this. and Like Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Preaching has a direct effect even on your faith. It does. You can th- I can think back in my own life, in my own walk, how God used the preaching of His Word to directly affect my faith. When we in 1 Corinthians chapter fourteen, I'm still there. This is what Paul said about the preaching and the service. He said, "This is why you need this." He said, "You're coming together, you're meeting, you're so obsessed to hear somebody all of a sudden speaking another language, and yet you're leaving off prophesying, you're forgetting about the preaching." He goes, he goes, but you have the preaching. He said, he tells him what it does for. Them. It speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. It's exactly what it does. But when you de-emphasize it, when you undervalue it, you're hurting yourself, spirits. That happens all the time. There are people that could care less. They, they, they can go back and uh, they, they don't care if they just go back there and sit and talk the entire time out in the foyer when the preaching is going on. doesn't matter to them one bit. If we had a comedy show going on, they would be in here because they want the entertainment. Or or they don't care, they can go sit in the nursery for, for the entire time and care less if they're going to come in and hear the preaching. You say, does that bother Of course it does, because I know it's going to hurt you spiritually. You're undervaluing the very thing God has put in place in a local church that was divine to edify you, to exhort you, to comfort you, to reprove, to rebuke. You're, you're undervaluing what you need in your Christian life. <clears throat> As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we need it for edification. It means to feed, to enlighten in truth. When God's word is preached, that's exactly what it's to do. You know how it is when, when you hear the preaching of God's word. And I'm going to emphasize because we have a we see an also attack coming from the pulpits today with, with preaching taking place, but not necessarily preaching of God's word. But when God's word is being preached, do you ever have those moments time and time again where it's just like an aha moment? Ah. I see it. Truth. We live in this wicked world. We need to be able to make decisions and live our life based on what's true. Not based on a worldly philosophy. Not based on some measure of deceit. But on what's true. We need the edification that the word of God brings when the preaching takes place. It helps us make decisions that are right, that are based upon truth. It edifies, it enlightens us in truth. It's also good, he said, for exhortation. Know what that simply means? To exhort you to do right. How often is it that you've been on a fence and and your, your, your mind has been playing the mind games with you, your flesh has been battling you, come in here and God's Spirit uses His Word just to encourage you, do right! You need that. You need that exhortation. God uses preaching to encourage you to do what's right. And by the way, again, he uses the preaching of his word. It helps you stay right. It's key for our own obedience. He also says comfort. Boy, time and time again, we need that comfort, You can come in, and when you have God's word preached, the comfort it can give. All of a sudden, it's that hope that it grabs. All of a sudden, as the world's been beating you down, and God's spirit can just use his word to give that comfort that's needed. That when you leave here, there's more of a smile, a little more spring in your step. I can do this. It edifies, it exhorts, it comforts. That's what was going on at the Church of Corinth. I mean, they were setting all those things aside because they wanted to come in and be entertained by the miraculous gifts that were present. Many of you wonder why you struggle in your life, but the fact is, for the most part, you can care less about the preaching. We know from, look, let's just turn over there. Turn to Second Timothy. Chapter 4. I remember... I don't know what the proper word is, it wasn't, it it, it, it didn't bother me. I I remember it, but, but it really did not bother. I remember when I was, we were starting with Master's Club and whatnot, and different things I was putting in place when we were going over to junior church, and I was wanting rotations in place. I was wanting it so the Master's Club would finish, we could still have the kids in here. <clears throat> and, and... And, of course, this is years ago now. I don't remember where all it came from. I don't know if anybody here or not. But I, I just remember it getting back to me how this was just about, uh, about me wanting people to hear me. That wasn't it at all. You know what it was about? Because I want the preeminence of preaching within the service. Because I believe you need it. So in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, the instruction in this pastoral epistle is this. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And of course we know we're there now. For the time will come when they shall not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Boy, we see that today. But it's through preaching you learn sound doctrine. It's through preaching you can get grounded when you, can, when you come in here and you're ready to listen and you're ready to hear. You can begin to get grounded in God's word. If God's word is being preached, you can begin to have those moments, which I enjoy. I'll get the emails from you or a text or a comment after the service. I get it. I understand that now. Know what's happening? You're getting grounded. You're having something based on God's Word for your faith to take hold of. Where it's not just man-made, where it's wishy-washy, where next time you, know, you move, you go to another church, you just follow their whims and whatever they do. Where you get grounded. Where you understand Bible principle for why you do what you do. We see so much changing today. Was God's Word change? Of course not. What happened was, we had so many people that were doing things, Just because it was the Christian culture at the time. But when the culture changed, they changed. Because they never had a spiritual foundation with their faith to grab hold of God's word. Because usually, we didn't even realize it. Preaching was being attacked even from the pulpit. And how it was being presented. And I'll get to more more on that in a minute. It's through preaching we see here that you're rebuked and reproved. Things that we need in our life because we have a flesh. We need that. When you begin to despise prophesying, when you begin to despise the preaching, you know what you can do? You can deceive yourself. Look over to Ezekiel chapter 33. Just a couple of verses here, I'll read, and that's it. I'm just going to read verses um, 31-32. And they come unto the end of the prophet, as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song, of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. They undervalued the preaching. Despised it. So the same word what it means. to count as nothing really. They weren't actually going to do anything with the preaching. They weren't looking to have anything change their life or get any actual direction or, or exhortation or edification. No. They undervalued it. Why? Something else controlled their heart, their covetousness. It affected them when they sat before the prophet of God. When you begin to despise the preaching, the prophesying, you are removing the method God has chosen to help strengthen you in your spiritual walk. Now thirdly, distractions. Distractions to the preaching of God's Word. Again, Satan's going to attack this. He will work to distract. Again, the key about this word prophesy is it is God's Word itself. Whether it's the written word, God's word being proclaimed, expounded upon. But we're seeing very much a change when it comes to preaching. We have many more who are seem to be much more gifted at speaking. But it's what's being said. It's more about life experience within the church now. It's more about getting connected. It's more about a social club, than it is about the preaching of the Word of God. The fact is, we need this. The devil will attack the pulpit to minimize preaching. I was listening just, uh, I had to, it was exactly last Wednesday, and I had to drive to the other, other side of Florida, to the east coast of Florida, to get some supplies, some more flooring needed. And uh, it was all sold out, so I had to go over just a, a, I forgot what it was, two, three-hour drive. And so I was listening to some preaching uh, on the way there, and and, and there was a fellow that, I I disagree with him on some points from certain things in theology, but when it comes to preaching, boy, we are just in complete agreement. And I really liked the message that that he had preached. And it fit in with, with my text with where I am right now, and uh he was preaching on the different types of preachers today and and how distracting it actually is from the Word of God. And I've changed some of these but uh, um, uh, to fit more, but uh, several of these that, that I did take from him. And he said, first off, there was, there was the cheerleader pastor. The cheerleader pastor. Everybody likes that guy. Everybody likes a cheerleader pastor. I mean, he's the Joel Osteen. He is this, you're going to make it. I mean, that's what it is. Time in and time out, time in and time out, time in and time The emphasis is not God's Word. It's the cheerleading. So you have the cheerleading which distracts from the Word of God. At times, can that be helpful? Sure it can. But it's not biblical preaching. It's not. Then there is the storyteller. The master storyteller. He'll make you laugh. He'll make you cry. He'll move you as he talks about himself. As he might have a little text that he'll read and then he'll go. We've had that here. We had that here on a Sunday. And, and he knew when he left. And, and both of are find that. It's so popular in our circles as independent fundamental Baptists incredibly popular. I remember, matter of fact, Greg will remember, he's not here right now, but months before he was here, I just had a horrible, uneasy feeling about him coming in. And I told Greg, I said I was, we were just talking, I was looking at this, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling right about this, I might cancel this. And I probably should have, that was probably God's spirit telling me, hello, cancel him. But he was so well known, brought him in. You know what we had in both services? Nothing but storytelling. We learned all about his life. Not about God's word. He made you cry, he made you laugh, everything else. The command and the strength is in the preaching of the word of God. <clears throat> Many times you can see the narcissism of a person coming out here because he's more worried about talking about himself than he is God's word. There's the one fellow that I mentioned who I also respect greatly, even though I had some differences with him theologically as well. Uh, and I respect him because of his emphasis on God's word and his approach to the preaching of the word of God as a pastor. And he was asked in an interview why he rarely tells stories of himself. And I've mentioned this several times because it's the best answer I've ever heard. And it's true. I, I, I've listened to many, many of his sermons. I, I, and I don't know that I've, I, I don't think of one time I remember telling him a story from college. And he said this, he said it's simple. He goes, I'm the preacher of the Bible and I'm not in it. That's exactly right. So there's the storyteller. There's the cheerleader. Then there's the springboard one. This is the guy that's like to use a text and springboard off of it. Usually you'll get his hobby horse every week, whatever that is. Or over maybe three or four weeks or a month, you'll hear the same thing repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated because it's just springboarding. That's all it is. It's not about going through the Word of God. It's springboard preaching. Then there's the entertainer, the joke teller. the However, whatever it's going to take to entertain you. The one that makes sure that the entire service is about the people and not about God. And then we have many of these today, the pseudo-psychologists in the pulpit. What they do is, is they'll usually be really good readers, which isn't a bad thing. But what they do is, the latest book they read, that's what comes out. Not their studies of the Word of God, whatever the latest book they read comes out through it. And you get their pseudo-psychology coming through. It might even be helpful things, good tips on parenting, things that might help you. But it's limited, and it's against the command to preach the Word of God. Where the images to be, sure, read. But when you're preparing a message, dive into the Bible, exegete the scriptures, allow the truth of the Bible be what feeds the people. Listen, at the turn of the 20th century, I'm serious about this. We had we had a liberalism coming in from Europe into the United States. The attacks on the Word of God were direct and clear. They were attacking major doctrines the resurrection, the virgin birth, denying miracles. There was obviously a strong you know, contingent of Christians that fought against that. Some gave in. They were clearly lost already. That, that folded and actually agreed to that. The attacks we have today on the Word of God are much more subtle and very dangerous. And yes, they're within our own movements. It's not the direct attack on the resurrection and the virgin birth. But why is it that you have preachers that will go to their books... Instead of diving in and bringing truth out of the word of God that's there to feed the people. Listen, there can only be a few logical reasons as to what that could be. Whether it's conscious or not. One of those is an actual lack of belief in the Bible being able to help. That's where the Satan's coming in and subtly. You need this. You need this. And so the focus and the the attention on the study isn't here. It's here. This will really help. This is good. Because we're losing confidence in this. Because the devil is eroding it like he has since the Garden of Eden. Despise not prophesying. The church of Corinth, was that a strong church or a pretty carnal church? Obviously. It's the most carnal church we have in the scripture. Do you think there could be a possible connection in the fact that they despised the prophesying? That they could care less about the preaching? And the carnality that existed? Of course of course, there's a direct connection. That's why Paul tells you, this is what's for your exhortation. When you get together, do you know what you need? You need the preaching. You're setting that aside. danger. The devil will work to distract. He'll also distract you in the pew. He'll get your mind on other things. He'll get you to de-emphasize how you view it. Like I said, there'll be nothing. I'll just get out and walk around uh, out there in the foyer. But I do appreciate a lot of our ushers. Our ushers who who do have to stay out there. I don't know how many times that that I I will see them. Bibles open and listening out there. Be careful of distractions that come in. And then I'll finish, I'll close with this. That's the duty when it comes to preaching. There's a command for pastors, for preachers, to preach the word. This is why I am strong on expository preaching. It gets under attack all the time. People like to minimize it and attack it all the time. Um, I, I do topical as well. I'll do thematic. I'll do series. But you will always see me emphasize expository preaching. When I know that when I study, I know which method forces me right here to the text, that I can't just go off on tangents. What guides it in trying to pull the truth that it, that is there, that is out. I remember I, 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 when I, when I started preaching, I have, I have my old sermons back when I was a teenager, still on a yellow legal pad, sitting in my office right now. It was just simply going through going through verses. It's it's my sermon preparation is much different now. And I remember I was at I was at a pastor school and I heard this statement and I said Amen to it. I didn't know what it was. I had no clue, but it was blasting expository preaching. I said Amen. I, I didn't know what it was, but if that guy said it was wrong, it's wrong. And then I'm in Bible college. I'm taking a sermon preparation class, homiletics, and it clicked. I'm 18. What expository preaching was And that message? I'm like. How in the world could he have been against that? How is that possible? You know what it was? It was undervaluing the power of the Word of God, putting it on the man as to what he could do. There's, there's time and place for, for as long as you're saying, there's never a time and place to veer from the Word of God ever. But there's, there's times like Sunday, I'll do a topical. Sunday nights are going to be a different series of those almost every single Sunday night. Every now and then I've done a little bit of expository come through Sunday nights, like Psalm 119. But for the most part, that's thematic, that's topical, textual messages that I'll draw out that are there. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's not. Nothing wrong with it at all. But you've got to be careful, especially if you are called to preach and you do sermon preparation. You never, 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 never start with your idea and then go to the Bible. You allow the Bible to dictate where you go with your message. It's so easy for you to find your point that you want to hit and go to the Bible to find proof text for for yourself. Allow the Bible to do the preaching. Preaching. Allow the Bible to do it. There's a duty and a command to preach the word. That's what's going to do the edifying. That's what's going to do the exhorting. That's what's going going to be doing the comforting. That's what's going to be uh, allowing to produce sound doctrine. When God's word is actually preached. And so Paul reminded that church at Thessalonica, despise not prophesying. Don't undervalue it. That's something we cannot do. We need it for our spiritual growth. With heads bowed and eyes closed.